Welcome to the Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 12, Softshell Clams. Softshell clams are the target species of a community science study I've been involved in for the past three years. The project specifically looks at the density of juvenile clams potentially recruited into the fishery in the absence of predation. If you want to know more about how this works, check out episodes 9 through 11. Today, however, let's talk about this clam itself. Softshell clams, scientific name Maya arenaria, are marine bivalves that live in soft-bottom intertidal and subtidal environments, tolerating a range of salinities from fully marine to estuarine. Like many other bivalves, it is a suspension feeder, pulling water into its digestive tract through an in-current siphon, filtering phyto and zooplankton and small bits of organic matter out, and expelling clean water through its excurrent siphon. The amount of water these organisms can filter in ideal conditions is amazing. One study I looked at demonstrated filtration rates as high as 72 milliliters per minute, though size, water temperature, and even the concentration of plankton all play a role in this rate. Maya arenaria are somewhat unusual among bivalves, as their siphons are fused together in a single muscular tube called the neck by those of us who find it to be a useful handle by which to hold the clam while dipping it in melted butter. In many ways, their siphons are their most defining characteristic. When relaxed, the neck of a large softshell clam can extend as much as 20 to 40 centimeters. That's 7 to 15 inches enabling the clam to be that deep in the sediment. Being deep in the sediment has its benefits. The deeper you are, the more protected you are from the surface-dwelling predators like moon snails, seagulls, and green crabs. So the bigger your siphon, the deeper you can be, the harder it is for predators to get you. But life is about trade-offs, and growing a long siphon takes a lot of energy and resources. And all the energy you put into your siphon is energy you can't put into growing the rest of your body, especially your gonads. And if your gonads are subpar and you don't reproduce as successfully, what is the point of having a large siphon that protects you from predation? This big fused siphon tube also presents another problem. It's big enough that the two shells of the softshell clam don't fully come together when the clam is otherwise closed up tight. In Britain, these clams are called gaper clams, for the gape between the shells when the siphon emerges. The gape, while allowing for an opening large enough to accommodate the big siphon, also presents a liability, in that the number one defense mechanism for any bivalve is pulling its shells tightly together. Softshell clams can't do this, so their number one defense, burrowing deep in the sediment, which requires a large, long siphon, reinforces this liability. And that's evolution for you. As their name implies, their shells aren't very robust anyway. Again, there's no need to invest energy and limited resources in fortifying a defense, a really hard shell, if that shell isn't your primary means of protection. And while we've established that deep burial is the primary defensive strategy these clams have, it turns out that they don't have very strong burrowing abilities, particularly the older they get. Sediment-dwelling bivalves use a muscle called the foot to move around and into the substrate. Located at the opposite end of the organism from the siphons, the foot emerges looking like a pale probing tongue. In softshell clams, the foot is particularly small, and burrowing takes a long time. They rely more heavily on the hydraulic action of water being forced out of the mantle cavity, 
essentially the body of the clam, through the pedal gape, the space where the foot emerges, which softens the sediment below the clam and allows the foot to push further into the sediment and broaden to form an anchor. Once anchored, the foot muscle contracts and pulls the clam down into the sediment. This happens over and over again until the clam is buried. Sediment size plays a role in the depth the clam buries itself. Clams in coarser sediment don't bury themselves as deeply, and studies have shown that it's because they don't have to. Surface predators, especially green crabs, have a harder time digging into coarse sediment, so the clam doesn't need to be as deep. And the burrowing action I described is very energy intensive, so it's in a clam's interest to not go deeper than they have to. Again, it's all about trade-offs. I so appreciate that this relatively homely animal, living in an inhospitable, at least to us, environment, is such a perfect example of the way the forces of evolution shape species, balancing the needs to avoid predation and survive, yet garner enough resources to grow and successfully reproduce. We could look at any species that has ever existed and identify the same kinds of trade-offs, how the organism has solved the same kinds of problems over evolutionary time. And that is what keeps me going. This has been episode 12 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The music is Lightstream by the artist Siddhartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. You can see photos of these clams on our Instagram, at The Essential Rhythm. Thanks for listening and join us next week.